We're in Romans, the fourth chapter. Uh, got down verse 2, 3 last time. We'll back up just a little, get our thoughts back together, and move on down through this. So, in the, the latter half of 3, Paul, the Holy Ghost, now has established the guiltiness, the sinfulness of all mankind, and has begun to reveal God's remedy for the sinfulness of man. That man who has fallen without hope into total depravity, separated from God without even a desire to come to God, that God through Jesus Christ has made a remedy for man not only to rid themselves of the guiltiness of sin, but to be reconciled back with God the Father and have peace, though man is sinful. So in 31, 3 and 31, and I feel this is important, do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid. Yea, we establish the law. And I, I'm afraid a lot of times in our day that the thought is the law is gone that Christ has done away with the law completely, and that's opposite to what the Bible teaches us. Jesus said Himself, I didn't come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill it. Here is the law void. God forbid. It's established. So this work of Jesus, and it goes back to uh, verse 26 in chapter 3, that God would be just and the justifier. The Lord Jesus in His perfect life fulfilled every jot and every tittle. He crossed every T, dotted every I. He fulfilled the law to perfection and then He suffered His death, His passion, the Bible refers to it as. He suffered and those lashes that He took on His back the punishment that He bore, the bruises that He was given, and the death that He died, that was for us. That was our guilt, our shame, our punishment. That that was meant for mankind was laid upon His back and He bore that. So that the law, the law's not been voided, the law's been fulfilled in Jesus. Now we're not living up to the law. We've already established that as well in verse 28. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. It's not that there's that left for me to accomplish in order for me to be justified. But the Lord Jesus fulfilled the law perfectly. The law standards and the righteousness of the law was met in Jesus Christ. Now the guilt that we bore and the punishment that the law called for and God said, in the day ye eat of that ye shall die. Man was facing death, but not death in the grave. It was in Revelation you see death and hell followed after. It was eternal death for the soul of mankind. The Lord Jesus bore that on the cross. So the law's been fulfilled, the punishment has been fulfilled, and the law is established in righteousness. Man's going to come to God, and he's coming to him righteous by the law. 
the law being fulfilled in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone. There is no other way for man to come unto God and be righteous. So remember, that thought then would bring up the question, well, what about Abraham? And we looked in James 2 where he says that uh, he was justified by works. We talked about the difference in what's being talked about. James is speaking about people that say they have faith and their life produces no evidence of the faith that they say they have. Can that be true? Can it be true for a man or a woman to have saving faith and there be no evidence of the presence and power of the Holy Ghost upon their life and there be no fruit of the operation of God done on the inside? That's impossible. That's what James is talking about. That Abraham didn't just say that he had faith, but he proved it and it was evidenced by the works that he had. But Abraham, for righteousness, did not work for that. Abraham believed God and God imputed unto him for righteousness. Now see, you've got two things head to head here. You've got man that says, well, I believe, so it must be imputed to me also. But see, when there's true belief as the Word of God prescribes belief and faith, that faith, that word ought, ought to be harped on. God help us to harp on it more. What is real faith? It's not believing on a whim. Faith is that produced by the hearing of the Word of God, not in the ears, but in the heart by the Holy Ghost of God. That faith is necessary for salvation. It's not, oh well, I believe. The devils believe and tremble. James responds to that as well. But faith is that that's given by the very hand of God. And without God producing and giving faith unto man, enabling him to hear the word of God, without God's action, there is no faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please him. Without faith, there's no justification. Without faith, a man is lost. And know this, it's impossible to have God-given saving faith and the person not be made into a new creature by the hand of God. It is impossible. The works are inseparable. It's one work. The work of God for the salvation of the soul of mankind. Man's got a whole lot less to do with this than he thinks he's got. The truth I've got less to do with it than I think that I do right now. And I say I've got nothing to do with it. I've got even less than what I think. Salvation, as Jonah says, as the psalmist says, salvation is of the Lord. And certainly that's the case. So what's Abraham found? So he answers it. For what saith the Scripture in verse 3? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. Now there shouldn't be any more debate about whether Abraham worked and, and earned it or not. Whether it was Abraham's works that justified him. Whether he believed God and then he had to, to do all these works in order to be just. The scripture answers that in the Old Testament. 
in Genesis 15, before Ishmael was born, and before Isaac was born, Abraham believed God and God counted it to him then for righteousness. God didn't need to wait on him to offer Isaac. God was going to cause him to offer Isaac. You don't believe that? Well, God told him to send Ishmael and his mother away. Not to kill him. Send him away that Isaac would not be hindered by the enemy. And he prayed, God, I would that Ishmael could stand before you. Now does that sound like a man that of himself has the strength to do what he's going to do on the mountain with Isaac? But the faith that God gave Abraham produced those works by the hand of God. So the Scripture says, and and I said this last week, we'll say it again this week, the bottom line always for you and for me on what we believe It ought to always be the Scripture. The Scripture is the ultimate authority of God. It's not how I feel today. I may feel different tomorrow. It's not what we agree on today. We may disagree tomorrow. The bottom line, and when you get it all down, what we ought to believe is the Scripture. Now if mom and daddy disagreed and they taught us something different, I ought to throw out what they taught me and believe the Scripture. If a preacher preached something one time and I've always believed it, well when the Scripture disagrees with that, I ought to throw that out and agree with the Scripture. If there's no authority, then where is man left? He's left in this place. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes. And you think this way, and you're right. And I think this way, and I'm right. And Dad thinks this way, and he's right. And we're all different. That's what the world wants to promote today. Everybody's right. Everybody's okay. However you live and however you do, you're all right. But the Scripture is the authority. That's where Paul looks to answer this question. Where ought we to look to answer our questions? To the Scripture. Now, to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. So, we sing amazing grace. We talk about the grace of God. We're thankful for the grace of God. We'll know this now. Grace is unmerited, unwarranted, favor given unto man by the hand of God. Now, if it's by works, then it's not grace. It's not unmerited and unwarranted. Instead, I'm saying, I've done this, this, and this, and God's going to reward me. He's going to pay me wages for what I've accomplished. See, it's it's when you really get it down to what people say, it's foolishness. Because Christ came to save me from the wages that I had earned. The wages that man earns is sin and death. Christ came to save me from what I deserved. That I wouldn't have to receive what I deserve, 
But because of imputed righteousness, I receive what Christ deserves. And it's unmerited. I did nothing to earn it. I did nothing to gain the opportunity. I did nothing to seek God that I might have it. I did not, the truth is, I did not want to have it. Maybe not everybody was like me. But I can say this, when I was lost, I did not want to be like everybody else in the church that was saved. I didn't want to have the salvation of the Lord. But the unmerited and unwarranted favor of God changed my mind. And you know when He done it? Did He do it after I was saved? See, now there, well, people's going to have to choose God. The gospel's going out to everybody and people's got to choose. Well, God changed my mind before I ever came to an altar. We're going to see that here in just a minute. Verse 5, But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. So it's not earned righteousness. It's not worked for righteousness. It is God giving us that that we do not have. So only... Only by grace. If God's going to give out checks paying us for what we've done, you've sinned, haven't you? I've sinned. So what kind of payment am I going to get from God based on what I've done? Well, I'm going to die. I'm going to stand before God I'm going to be rejected because I've sinned. And I'm going to receive the wages of sin, which is death, not in the grave, but in hell, in the lake of fire that burneth forever and ever. The smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. The place where the wrath of God abides upon man, a place prepared for the devil and his angels. So it's only by grace. And, you know, that's not, that's not just a New Testament doctrine. In Deuteronomy chapter 9, now here are the children of Israel that have been brought out of Egypt. We know famously they refused to believe God and go in. So they wandered 40 years in the wilderness until all the people above 20 years old died in the wilderness. Now they have came back to the border. Moses is still alive. He's going to die before they go in. But Moses is reviewing the law to all these that remain of the children of Israel. And Moses says this in Deuteronomy chapter 9 verse 5, Not for thy righteousness or for the uprightness of thine heart, dost thou go to possess this land. But for the wickedness of those nations, the Lord thy God doth drive them out from before thee, and that he may perform the word which he swore unto thy father Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
So God's pretty clear in Moses' day that they were not gaining the promised land because of their righteousness or for their works. God was giving them something that they did not earn nor deserve. The only way man receives good of God is God's giving him what he does not deserve. Man's mind is opposite of that. Man's carnal mind, and remember, the carnal mind is enmity. It's at enmity with God. That, that's more than an enemy, but that is hatred to the deepest source. And it's contrary, opposite to, everything that God says or does. So this, it's no wonder that this believes the total opposite of what God says. But if it was not for God, there'd be no good. There'd be no good for man. We'd live a few days here, we'd die and go to hell, and there we'd be forever. But God's produced an abundant life in this life and an eternal life in the world that's to come. But in Daniel chapter 9, one of my favorite prayers we have in the Old Testament here. Daniel is praying for mercy. And he says in chapter 9 verse 18, listen to the, this is the prophet Daniel. This is a man that went to the lion's den to pray to God. He had some good works, didn't he? He did. Listen to what Daniel says. Oh my God, incline thine ear and hear Open thine eyes and behold our desolations and the city which is called by thy name. For we do not present our supplications before thee for our righteousnesses, but for thy great mercies. When Daniel prayed, Daniel realized he couldn't come to God and say, God, I've done this. Now you do this to pay me back for what I've done. But Daniel is casting himself on the mercies of God. Now, you know, does, does God owe it to him? He does not. David, when the judgment of God was coming and God gave him choices, David said, I'll cast myself on God's mercy. I'll throw myself in the hands of God. You know what these men were able to do? They were able to lay out their supplication before God knowing that He was good, knowing that He was merciful, knowing that He was gracious, knowing that He was loving towards them and they could trust Him with their prayer and supplication though they did not earn it. They trusted His goodness even though they were unrighteous. That's exactly what we do. We can't come and pray and demand God do because you owe me. But we come and make our supplications and prayers known to God through the righteousness of Jesus Christ our Savior. And I'm going to get a little ahead of ourselves, but it's dealt with in this book of Romans that God who gave His Son for us when He was lost, how should He not with Him freely give us all things? If God gave His Son for a people that despised every, every part of God, 
then would it be unreasonable for me to believe that God would be attentive and hear my prayer and my supplication? It would not be at all. So in Romans chapter 9, again ahead of ourselves, and we'll cover this better when we get there, in Romans 9 verse 16, So it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that sheweth mercy. In John chapter 1, you read that they were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now when you begin to talk like this, people will cut you off pretty quickly because this doctrine, if there is a doctrine in the Bible that makes people angry, it's the doctrine of election and the power of God in salvation. And in their carnal mind, remember the carnal mind, they see people coming and begging God to be saved, but God's not going to save them because they're not elect. Now, is that your experience? Have you ever seen somebody begging God to save them and God not hear? No. Man's not seeking God. Man don't want to be saved. And if God's power was not working in election, I, I'd have never come. Would you? So it's not of him that willeth. And thank God it's not, because I'd have died lost. If God waited on me to want it, or to run after it, I'd have never got it nor would anybody else. Thank God for His power and working. So it's only by grace. Therefore, God shows mercy and grace or all are going to be destroyed. Without God's intervention in the affairs of mankind, nobody's going to be saved. In Hebrews 11, and I know this is a familiar scripture, Hebrews 11 verse 6, But without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Without faith it's impossible. Does man have faith? Now you hear this, and it's out of context, and it's taken wrongly. But well, God's dealt to every man the measure of faith. But Paul writes in another place to pray for him, for all men have not faith. So how are we going to reconcile those two? Well, I say this, to the elect and to those that are saved, if you're here and you're saved and born again, God's dealt to you a measure of faith. All of the church that's saved God's dealt a measure of faith to them. But do you think everybody out in the world's got faith? Has everybody got faith? Not faith that God gives. So, without faith, it's impossible. God's waiting on man to have faith. Is that ever going to come up? If you've got a field 
and you're going to wait on tomatoes to come up. How long do you think you're going to sit watching that field day by day until tomatoes come up? Are they ever going to come up? Are they going to come up naturally? No, you know what's got to happen? Somebody's going to have to intervene in the natural course of that field. Somebody's going to have to kill what's there, plow up the ground, put the seed in, work it and keep the weeds out, maybe fertilize it, and maybe water, and then it'll produce something. Well, it's the same with man. That's an easy picture that we all understand. Well, if God does not deal and intervene in man's situation, faith will never come forth. Faith is a result of the working of God in a man's life. That's where it comes from. So, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Nobody's going to please God except God intervene. It's not. No, it's under the gospel and by the Spirit. You know, God works... As His Word says. You want to argue with that? I don't believe that. Well, that's well and good. But the Bible says that how can they hear without a preacher? That's in this same book. That's on down the line as well. The Gospel is the means that God chose for His elect to receive the faith that would bring them to salvation. It's through the Gospel. It's the plan of God. God didn't ask for my help. He don't need it. He don't need it. So this this verse here, verse 5 in Romans 4, But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly. Man's also in the carnal got a false notion that God's just saving the best of the best. Well, see, it's not by works. And the truth is, it's exactly the opposite of that. You know who God's saving? The weakest. God's saving the most ignorant. God's saving the most wicked. And God is justifying the worst of the worst. You talk about scraping the bottom of the barrel. God is building a glorious church out of those that He scraped from the very bottom of the barrel. Now you know what that does? That doesn't leave me a place to boast in me. It don't leave Liberty Church a place that we can say, look at what, uh, look at how blessed God is to have us. But boy, it redounds to the glory of God that the sinner could come in and say, Well, there's Joseph. I never expected him. And Vaughn. And Daniel. And Anthony. And Kevin. Look at all these men that God, that God's done a work in. It redounds to the glory of God that God justified the ungodly. Paul says in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, uh, some more of my, my favorite scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Verse 9, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now boy, here's where your laws 
and your workers. They say amen right there. Amen, the unrighteous is not going to inherit. Now listen to the list. Be not deceived, neither fornicators. That word's pornea, illicit sexual activity. Any sexual activity outside of a marriage sanctioned by God between a man and a woman. That's fornication. Amen, they're not going. Okay. Nor idolaters. The worship of anything other than God. Nor adulterers. Those that are in a marriage relationship and are having sexual intercourse activity outside of that marriage. Nor effeminate. Nor abusers of themselves with mankind. Nor thieves. Nor covetous. Nor drunkards. Nor revilers, partiers, or extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Yep, they're shut out. But, verse 11, and such were some of you. See, God went to this crowd that everybody says, yeah, them people, they can't go. They'll never get in. And God plucked them out of the brand, as a brand from the burning, brought them out of the very bottom of the barrel, and justified them through the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And the church at Corinth, those saints of God, as Paul addresses this letter to in chapter 1, those saints of God that had been redeemed in Jesus Christ, they were redeemed out of these sins that no man's going to go to heaven living like that. So who's he justifying? The ungodly. We read Paul in Timothy. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Jesus came to redeem man out of the pits of sin and ungodliness. Now the truth, and this is said often here, we're all familiar, you'll never get too bad to be saved. And that's the truth. He came to save the worst by the Word of God, by the sanctioning of the Holy Spirit. Jesus came to save the chiefest of all sinners. That's what Paul said. So there's no depths that man can go and sin that God and the power of Jesus Christ is not able to bring them out of and justify them. No, the problem is man up here. Man's thinking the good people are going and we're going to try to be good. And we're going to earn. And we're going to work. And we're going to do. And we're going to go to church. And we're going to do our best. And those things are going to earn it. It's the opposite. God came to save sinners. And them that are sinners... Those are who God justifies. God justifieth the ungodly. His faith is counted for righteousness. Reckoned. It's the same word over and over. Imputed, reckoned, counted. It's all the same word to take an inventory or to estimate. So God is not expecting man to earn it. 
but those that would put their faith and entrust their salvation in Jesus Christ. And that's easily said, but there's a lot more to it than just saying that. In entrusting Christ for redemption, I'm admitting that I can't do it. I'm admitting that I'm a sinner. I'm admitting that I'm guilty. I'm admitting that I'm in need of redemption. And I'm admitting that there's no hope for me. Therefore, I'm casting all of my trust and hope in the finished work of Jesus Christ and His resurrection that me, a sinner, could be justified before God. Things are oversimplified today. That's a big problem. Just come to Jesus and believe Him. Well, there's more to it than that. God justifieth the ungodly, not by works, not by deeds, but by His grace, by His power. God's plucking man out of sin, justifying them, washing them. That's what he says in Corinthians. But ye are washed. You're sanctified. They weren't in those lifestyles anymore. And don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that people like that make up the church that's saved and born again. No, people in those lifestyles, they're not going to inherit. They've not been washed. and They've not been sanctified. God's plucking man out of sin and not saving him and putting him back. David didn't say he brought me out of the miry clay and he washed me off and he put me back in it. But God's plucking man out of sin, cleansing and washing and sanctifying them and setting them on the foundation of the rock of the Lord Jesus Christ. Making new creatures out of them. And their life and their actions, their behavior is regenerated, changed, renovated through the work of God performed in their heart. So, verse 6. Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works. Remember the Scripture, that's the baseline. The Scripture is the ground that we ought to tear everything down and get to the Scripture. This is not New Testament doctrine. See, you've got people that say, well, there's been seven dispensations and there's going to be three more, whatever, that God saved man differently all through the ages. And today, we're in a special day where God's saving by grace, but it's not always been like that. Well, ain't it something that David, the king of Israel wrote in the Psalms how blessed that it is that we don't receive what we deserve. This is not new. Jesus didn't bring this in as some new doctrine. Moses spoke about not for your righteousness. Moses wrote the first books of the Bible. So from the very beginning, it's been about man and man receiving from God not what he deserves, but receiving goodness based on God's mercy. David wrote about it. The blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are they 
whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Yeah, but David was a sinner. Who wasn't? David needed forgiveness. So does all of mankind. And David said, Blessed is the man whose iniquities are forgiven that God would not hold that man accountable for what he said and what he's done and how that he's lived. But instead, God's going to shew mercy upon man for his sin and his iniquities and allow them to be covered. Now what are they covered with? Remember, it's never magic that God makes it disappear. The sin of man was laid on the back of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Lord Jesus covered the iniquity of man by giving His life for them. Not hocus pocus, but God carried it out on the back of the Lord Jesus Christ that man could have his sins covered and forgiven. And blessed is that man. I tell you, if you could see it, as Anthony spoke about it this morning, that man that gains the whole world and loses his soul versus that man that entrusts Christ Jesus and receives eternal life, How blessed are those that know the Lord Jesus. How blessed today are you to be in a place where you can hear the gospel. Who would have ever thought that you could say it and it be true that you're blessed to go to a place where the Word of God is rightly divided. We are in that day today. Very few places you're going to go and hear the Word of God rightly divided. Very few places you're going to go and hear anything close to the truth of the Word of God. You know what you're going to hear? We all need to do better. Church, if you do better, your people will get saved. If we'll have a big revival and you'll try hard, God will save that person for you. You talk about laying a grievous burden on somebody. People enjoy that. But you talk about a grievous burden to lay on a man and say, if your son's going to be saved, then you you need to do a little better. God will do it. Boy, that's a lie. That's a lie. And you hear today, if you'll just come to Jesus now, you can be saved. Really? That's exactly right. No, I tell you, to hear the Word of God rightly divided, very few places can say it. And even in those places, they're set in field, as Moses said, of the number that came out of Egypt. You know what Moses said about that number? I thought about it Wednesday night when Greg was preaching. Came out of Egypt was a mixed multitude. That's what he says. That's what we have everywhere you gather. There's a mixed multitude. There's people that saved. There's people of Israel. And there's people of Egypt as well. There's lost people that gather. If you can say that your sins have been covered, that the operation of God has been performed in your heart, how blessed that you are 
to be able to say that in the world that we're living in. When you really get down, and you talk about a razor's edge, the gospel gets her down to a razor's edge. When you begin to divide the Word of God as it's meant to be divided, and your eyes are open to how few people have a work of God done in their heart. How few people are truly saved and born again. How blessed that you are that you can say your iniquities are forgiven. A remnant of a remnant is saved. Blessed is the man that can stand this morning and say all my sins have been covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Now, let's not take that wrong. He's not saying God's going to add sin to my charge that I've not committed. But David says in another place that the Lord not mark his iniquities. That's what he's saying here. The man that God is not holding accountable for all of his actions, for all of his words, and for all of his deeds. Boy, if we were accountable, if we were accountable right here for our words that's been spoken in two weeks' time from today, we'd be ashamed for the church to know the very thoughts and the things that have came out of our mouth. And you're going to go before God and not be ashamed? No, blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Blessed is the man that receives mercy. In Psalm 51, listen to what David says in Psalm 51. And I'll hush in just a minute. Verse 8. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out all mine iniquities. Restore, on down in verse 12, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. What is David praying for? God, cover my sins, and don't give me what I deserve for my sins. That's the way all of man prays. Not a new doctrine, by the way. Well, David got forgiveness through that sacrifice down there on the altar. Best I can tell, it had been nine months since he had committed the sin with Bathsheba. She had brought forth the child. It was right around nine months. He had went on with life as usual. During that time, do you reckon he offered sacrifices and went through the motions down? He's the king. His desire was to hide it and that nobody know he had ever done anything. But you know what God was looking for? Old Testament again. Old Testament. God desireth truth in the inward part. Not a ceremony. Not at going through the motions, but God's looking in the inward part of man. God knows the heart of all of man. Now we can take that flippantly as well. 
and say, well, you're judging my life, but God knows my heart. You can say that if you like. But the truth is that what is coming out in the life, that's what's in the heart. The desires of the life that come out here, that's what's in here. They're not two different things. If you got a whale with a bucket and you drop the bucket down, you know what's coming out? What's in there? You're not going to drop a bucket in fresh water and draw out salt. The Bible tells us that. Nor are you going to go down in salt water and pull out a bucket of fresh. The bucket's going to pull out what's down in the well. Well, that's what's happening in the life. The life is drawing out what's in the heart. And the life is evidence that people are missing the work of God in the depths of their soul. God could cause man to walk in his statutes if God dwelled in him. See, the problem is people are lost. People are unregenerated. Anything on your heart you'd like to say, you'd like to do, you'd like to add...